You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith. I'm your host, certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial analysis. And uh, usually Ethan Broga sits with me. He is out today in a, in a very important meeting. Um, he's quite quite the busy advisor. So I'll be, uh, I'll be here alone. If you want to contact us today or contact me, also Simon's here, you can reach us at 866-472-5790. if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts throughout the show. And uh, and you are listening live and in a a happy place where you can make a call. Um, And this is probably during work hours for most of us, Um, unless we're firemen or or people who work at graveyard ships. (laughs) But um, if you do want to send us an email, contact at empiradio.com. Contact at EMPIRadio.com. And uh, this show, Empirical Investing Radio, is designed to share with you thought-provoking ideas to challenge the conventional wisdom uh, of how we invest, how we think about financial planning, and hopefully help you make a lifetime of of smart, uh, build a framework to make a lifetime of smart financial decisions. So that's our objective and our goal and uh, we believe that most of what is out in the commercial media with regard to financial advice um, while it may be entertaining isn't very helpful um, isn't something that a person can take and apply year after year um, decade after decade to uh, accumulate and and preserve wealth and line that wealth up to the various goals and objectives that they have and that was one of the things that Really got Ethan and I uh, inspired about doing an educational radio program. So just a little background on that. And in, in talking about that that financial media, last week we had talked about why you should be very cautious about rolling money into things like Facebook. A lot of people are very interested in, in the IPO, uh, being a part of that or investing in Facebook. Um Historically, for those who, who wind up getting those companies after the IPO, right after it hits the open market, the studies I've seen have shown the subsequent 12-month returns uh, have tended to be at or below general market market returns. Not a, not a lot to be had there. Um, for those that are part of the inside crowd of Wall Street, um, but the major traditional wirehouses, the way that they allocate shares to the extremely wealthy or the preferred client list. Um, you know, if you happen to be in that group, then, you know, you, you are likely to get the shares at a pretty good price relative to what they come out to in the market. And, uh, but if you're not, that, uh, that isn't always the case. And if you hang on to them, there's no guarantee that you're going to, uh, there's no guarantee that you're going to have a better than market rate of return. So on this show today, I want to talk about uh, getting back to why you shouldn't take 
Jim Cramer's advice. I was in a um, conference in Chicago with the CFA Institute and got to hear some very, very bright people talk. And I like to share some of the things that I that I picked up in that in that conference <clears throat> as well. Um, some things that that uh, a professor that I'm I'm have great respect for Eugene Fama was there and he talked about um, how markets work a little bit and, and very different uh, than some of the other speakers at the conference. But uh, want to talk about that a little bit and um, and uh, and recap. Uh, some of the, the strategies to help put together a, a portfolio that's likely going to get you to where you need to go. Before we do all that, Simon, I want to, uh, I got a question from an investor and, uh, I, I want to start with, uh, with that. And, uh, the question was, um, the world was the title. It says, Hey guys, I'm watching the evolving debt and political situation in Europe, U.S. and the U.S. deficit and debt issues, uh, too, with increasing concern. Are, we, are you considering or recommending any changes in asset allocations due to this? That's a very common, common question and theme that we see within investors. Uh, and that is, as the news headlines get scarier and scarier, um, as there's more global uncertainty, should a person adapt or change their portfolio as a result of those headlines? So if it's printed in the newspaper that there is a crisis pending, uh, is that worthy of, of changing your asset allocation? I want to I want to try to answer this um, using all the research I've seen in terms of actual empirical data on how markets work, strategies that have have either worked or not worked over the years, um, and then a little bit of common sense, and then also uh, the experience that I've had. Um, and 16 years of, of doing this um, in person and having gone through in my career two of the worst markets in history, I have a little bit of experience with this. And so to start, I want to say that the if you look at the major market moves, there have been studies, just Google them. Um, you can pull up some studies on this. A lot of the volatility that you see in the market, whether it's major single-day declines or increases, the media loves to attach um, those to some explanation. And there was a perfect example um, that I just heard of. It was when we captured uh, Saddam Hussein. Earlier in the day, the market actually was up, and the, and the headline was that uh, the market's up because we captured Saddam Hussein. Later in the day, the market was down, and the headline was, the market is down because capturing uh, the capture of Saddam Hussein. Two different stories that they filled in about that. One was that it was a positive thing. The other wound up being that people were supposedly worried about um, the instability um, of what capturing him would do to the geopolitical situation. Um, my, my point of that is that you will... If, if you follow the headlines, the headlines tend to try to explain what's already occurred. They like to paint a picture of what's already happened um, as it relates to the market going up and down on a day-to-day -day basis. And usually, for example, we've had a few days here of, of uh, negative market returns, right? The, today was up slightly, but for the last few days, we've had some decline. Um, the market will search for reasons for that. 
And um, whether those reasons are accurate or the real issue um, or not is yet to be seen. And many times the major market moves that we've seen in the stock market were not actually affected by real impactful news events. So you have to be, my, my first word of caution to you is if you're getting that data, you're becoming concerned because you're reading general news media. Um, you want to take that with a grain of salt because if you follow that advice, every time a, an article came out um, that looked bleak, it would not be a market winning or beating strategy. So and I'd love to see if anyone has any papers or, or research on this. This has been my personal experience. And also that of if we look back and see uh, what the headlines did, what the headlines were, and the subsequent 12-month, three-year, five-year returns, um, very low correlation. When negative headlines came out, think back just even to March of 2009, how many positive headlines did you see back then? How many friends, family members, or financial advisors were getting on the, uh, were getting on the soapbox and saying, I have never been more optimistic about the global economy and building a globally diversified equity portfolio and investing at the extreme margin of my risk tolerance. How many? Simon, did you did you see anybody doing that? No, thing? I didn't. No. Um, very few. And so if you think back to those times and think about 1999, take the headlines anywhere prior to 19, the end of 1999 – um, and look in the financial media and see how many of them were negative. We're saying this is the absolute worst time. Take 1998. You know, you pick. Any time prior to that, uh, look at the financial headlines and fi- find the the the, uh, the overwhelming majority of the media. I would be completely shocked if you found that those headlines were negative. That everything looks gloomy. We are heading into deep, deep trouble. You should be cutting back and moving to the most conservative allocation that will still allow you to reach or attain all your goals over the long run. Not only that, but I did this personally back um, after the, t- the technology bubble. And if you look at the ratings on the stocks that declined the most, if you take that na- the NASDAQ index, <clears throat> excuse me, if you take the NASDAQ index, and further, take those uh, the NASDAQ 100 index, which became a very popular ETF at that time, an exchange-traded fund that traded all day long that you could invest in those 100 big technology stocks that were on the NASDAQ index. And pull up what the major rating agencies were. Um, take Standard & Poor's or Argus <clears throat> or look up Merrill or, or any of the major warehouses uh recommendations if they still have them published or they're available to get on companies like Cisco Systems or uh, Intel or Microsoft or any of those companies. And you will find, at least what I found, was they all had very, very positive views or high ratings on those stocks. Very few of the preponderance of, of those rating stocks were saying, sell these, get out of, of these technology stocks and get out quickly and and entirely. It was only after the, the market had began to decline, and those stocks particularly, many of them began, began, began to decline significantly, when the next follow when the reports came out that they were changing their viewpoints. Um, it's a very hard thing to do 
to make money anyways, if that's what you're interested in doing, to follow analyst ratings or headlines in the news and adjust your asset allocation based on those. Now, the question might be something more economic. So maybe you're digging in and saying, and in this case, a person is really worried because it's not necessarily a headline that we have a, a very high budget deficit right now, um, that there are problems with Greece, for example, or other potential barriers to the market um, going up that are out there floating around that would be, uh, would be potential hazards. Um, in this case, it's, uh, let me see, the evolving debt and political situation in Europe, U.S. deficit and debt issues uh, with increasingly increasing concerns. Well, none of those issues were absent the, the entire time the market has been going up in the last several months. They've all been continue, continuously circling out there. And the market is pretty good about pricing in that risk if it's a known risk. So where it hasn't been very good about pricing risk, if you're an investor, is unknown risks. And what I mean by that is if everyone knew the market as a, as a whole understood the level of the, um, the subprime issue. And um, it was interesting, Simon, to hear from him. He was saying, hey, hey, I don't think it, subprime was big enough to really draw. We happen to go into a recession combined with what happened in the subprime that got us into this trouble. But if the market knew, and they've, the market um, prognosticators or economists have been very, very poor about projecting when we enter into a recession and when we actually exit, and they usually don't know either until long after it's happened. And we've looked at the studies on, on market returns in that case, that if there is a recession, um, we, we're usually in it before we really understand that we're in it. Um, it's, that is where the market has a hard time. You know, if, if it knows the data, it's priced into there. Those risks tend to get priced into whatever the current level of the market is very quickly if they're known risks. So nobody knew that the technology bubble was going to occur. Nobody knew earnings were going to fall off of a cliff at the time that they did. And so the market continued to be high. What drove the market down very rapidly in both cases was the surprise. And and, and at that point in time, you would have been reacting to the market decline. Now, that might not be a, an entirely horrible strategy. We've looked at different ways of rebalancing or adjusting an asset allocation and in my view, if you're going to make those kinds of adjustments based on economic or market worries, um, it's probably better to just simply look at the market return. Look what's going on at the market. Um, because, again, the headlines don't always fully um, explain what's really moving the market. But what we do know is that the market's moving up or it's moving down. That's very easy to track. And... Um, so one thing we've looked at is is a defensive rebalancing approach in our company and to say we don't believe in market timing. We don't believe that what a lot of these uh, famous prognosticators or, or market money managers that are out there uh, promising to do, that they actually have, there's any reality that they will ever be able to deliver it. And as a fa financial advisor, I think it's one of the worst possible things that somebody can offer as a value add to a client. There's so many other better th ways of adding value and 
more than adequately paying for any of the management fee or, or advisory fee or planning fees that you charge that people really actually need and can get help from. There are so many of those ways that are significantly better. Uh, the, the worst and least valuable of all, least justification for paying anyone any fee, is that they're going to time you in and out of the market consistently in a manner in which you take on less risk and have a better or higher, significantly higher return than market rates. If they do do it, it's luck. And don't be fooled by track records or brochures or letters in the past, any of that stuff, that, that that's what you should be paying for. You should be running the exact opposite direction if you want. My advice, but not only my advice, some very, very, very smart people in the academic world would also back up that advice. So, where was I, Simon? I was talking about uh, the the headline story here. If you're going to move in and out of the market, right, one approach that, that uh, we've designed to look at as a study was, well, what if the market began to decline? And uh, what if the market began to decline? And after it declined to a certain point, um, I made an adjustment and um, and I, I lowered my equity allocation. So if I started at a 60% equity allocation and uh, the market began to decline, I lowered that asset allocation down to something like 40% stock or 30 or 20 or 10 or 0 Well, we're going to have to take a quick break, but I want to talk to you about the implications of that and what we found when we looked at that and and how you might consider that as an approach. Think we're going to take a break right now, Simon? Yeah, take a break. Empirical Investing Radio, thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? 
Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken Smith. Airing here in Seattle with uh, Simon Liu. It's a uh, lovely day today, and uh, I'm glad to be back. I was on a little trip there and got back yesterday. It's good to be back here, Sam. Again, if you do want to email if you, any of the things we're talking about today, if you have any follow-up comments or thoughts, it doesn't have to be on today's show, but I'll be happy to talk about it on one of the subsequent programs. Send us an email at contact at empiradio.com. Or call us at one eight six eight on the show eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Off the show, give us a call here at the firm at one eight hundred nine two three four three zero seven. That's one eight hundred nine two three four three zero seven. And if you are an individual investor looking for a financial advisor, or some of the things that we're talking about on the program resonate with you and you have an advisor who isn't implementing some of this, um, you'd like to have a second pair of eyes take a look at your strategy and your financial plan, we'd be happy to do that. So wherever you are, feel free to give us, shoot us an email or give us a call. And you can email me directly at ksmith at empiricalfs.com, ksmith at empiricalfs.com. You can visit our website at empiricalfs.com as well. So going into the break, we were talking about, I was talking about uh, a question that I had received from an investor. And let me just, in case you're just tuning in here, refresh you on that. <clears throat> and the question was, hey, hi guys, I'm watching the, the evolving debt and political situation in Europe and U.S. deficit and debt issues too with increasing concern. Are you guys considering or recommending any changes in allocations due to this? And what I was laying out is that there's been a very poor track record of um, successfully timing the market based on reading news headlines. It may seem more apparent after the fact. So certainly there were negative headlines that began to progress through uh, the financial crisis, and no one knew how low or how Far the market would go down in reaction to those those headlines in the news, and part of that was people had a very difficult time interpreting um, what the implications were, and a part of it were, in my opinion, the feeling that there may be more bad news than we can assess right now. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seen the amazing rebound after the 
the bottom in March 9th, it's just a phenomenal market uh, rebound that we saw, tells me that the market was was overreacting to the to the risk. Um, if you are investing for one day, one month, or one year, um, to get back to my answer to this question, uh, there are better ways of adjusting your asset allocation to address that market risk. Um, and one thing we would look at, uh, and I was referring to before going into the break, was there's headlines and then there's general economic um, data. So if we're looking at general economic data and saying, well, I, I, it appears that, that we're in a, a, a contracting period of time, that approach, I was saying, is very difficult because even professional economists, whose job it is to track that, have a very, very difficult time predicting when we're going into recessions and when we're coming out. And furthermore, if they could predict it, the market returns have run counter to those entry dates and those exit dates. Um, getting out of the stock market on the day that later we, we realized we were in a recession um, and getting back in the day it ended did not produce market-beating results. What it does do, though, when you're in those situations and you begin to read negative headlines and you make an adjustment, there's a psychological payoff. And you may be feeling that I would regret it more. I would have greater regret if I saw a headline or I looked at what's going on around the, the world and I didn't make an adjustment and then the, the reality of that negative uh, viewpoint I had emerged and my stocks and my portfolio declined. There is a lot of regret that can be generated from that, um, more so than in, in many cases that I've seen than the idea that, well, I became more conservative or I adjusted my asset allocation. And by doing that, I missed a market opportunity. So the market went up after I adjusted or moved out of I find less people who out on when they're out on their own managing their own investments. It 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 seems to me that they assign less regret to having missed some of that upside than they do the regret of having a negative feeling, not reacting on it and seeing the market subsequently go down. And that loop begins to get worse and worse as the market continues to progress downward because they constantly think, well, I knew this was going to happen. I should have reacted to it, and but they hung on. They said it was too late now, and then it continues to go down. And ultimately, they might get shaken out of the market towards the bottom. At least that's what we see when we look at the mutual fund cash flow data out there. When we look at what investors are putting in and out of the market and where they're doing it, um, ultimately, there's a lot of people pulling money out at market bottom just before the market bottoms, uh, and a lot of people putting it in towards the top. So what can you do? You know, how do you handle that? How do I handle it? How would I recommend we handle it for our clients and for you as a listener? Well, first of all, I don't think you should ever look at the market in short periods of time because the news can change very, very quickly and in very unpredictable ways. And we've seen that over and over again. If you actually write down how you felt at any point in time, kept a log, and what you thought the reaction would be to the market. Is it a 10% decline from here? A 20, 30? What is it? Write it down. Uh, I challenge you to do this, and I've done it repeatedly on this program. When you get a thought or a feeling that makes you, gives you the urge of reacting to it, write it down. Write down where the market was at. Uh, 
And then not only that, but write down what you think and what time period you think the market will move. And I think that it will be an amazingly eye-opening experience. If you do that for a year, um, it probably won't even take that amount of time. But if you do that consistently for some period of time, you will stop making those projections. I, I venture to say that you will stop making those projections and wanting to react on it. You'll realize that a better approach is to have some sort of systematic, disciplined way of valuing the market and making adjustments to my asset allocation or reacting to market movements. So what does that mean? Well, what I was saying before when we were talking going into the break was, well, the way you rebalance your portfolio, um, let's talk about that for a second. Maybe I'm, I'm a 60% stock and 40% bond investor in, in a neutral time period. I don't think the market's overvalued. I don't think it's undervalued by whatever measure you're going to use. Maybe it's P.E. ratios, dividend yields, projected growth, whatever it is that you're using. And if you said, hey, when the, when the market becomes under or overvalued based on that criteria, I will adjust. You know, one of the things that I believe that there are, there is some significance to is your, your buy-in price, your starting point. When the market is at euphoric highs and is paying multiples of 45 to 100 times earnings, the likely forward projected return for the next 10 year period is probably lower at a time than it is at a time where everybody despises stocks and wants to get out and is only paying five or seven times earnings instead of 45 or 100 times earnings. It's a very counterintuitive situation, though. Uh, very few of us want to be selling out or, or, or not be overloading on stock when after a few years of very high returns. Regardless of the market valuation, there's always guys that will come out and explain away why the valuation doesn't matter. It's not a new phenomenon. It's gone on for for hundreds of years, uh, thousands probably, and vice versa. Um, it's not easy, no matter how stocks, how cheap stocks get, when everyone thinks the world's coming to an end, to uh, to take that risk to overcome that and buy buy stocks. Those are not easy things. And therefore, my view is you have to look at it in a unemotional way and say, "What there's a value that should be an average value of a particular security or stock or market. When I get overvalued, I'm not going to own it or I'm going to reduce my exposure to it. When I become undervalued, I will have my maximum exposure to that. Um, but that will be my determining decision. I know exactly when I will get in. I know exactly when I will reverse that. Um, the fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants approach that most money managers I see and individuals do, I don't believe is the best way to get success. Any system that has consistently, if you looked at it and applied it in the past, that had some consistent results, I would have greater faith in than one in which I will go by my gut instinct uh, or the seat-of-my-pants type of approach. So one thing we've looked at in the rebalancing process would be, um, A, I'm sorry, Back up two things, right? Valuation and then market movement. Hey, if the market begins to decline, I can adjust, I will adjust my allocation to, to have less equity exposure. If you do that, I believe you will not, you will reduce and lose some return over the long run. So if you're doing it based on solely because the market went down, I reduced my exposure to stocks. 
Um, I don't believe you'll get a greater return, but what you will do is feel a lot better psychologically if that's what it takes. Um, Because I've met even very, very conservative investors who have very little invested in equity, and they still get very worried when the market goes down or when the news gets bad, the headlines get bad. I'm less worried about headlines and I'm more worried about the market actually going down. That's what I'm, I'm worried about, not the negative. Because I know the negative headlines change day to day. They flip-flop like the Saddam Hussein example I gave you. Within the very same day, the story headline flip-flopped to try to describe what, what happened to the market in a single day, much less over weeks or months. The story headlines flip-flop constantly. We have a significantly update. It's because there was some bright spot in the economic reports or some country that's going to do get it. Greece is going to find a way out of it. The very next day, the market goes down a couple hundred points, and it's because it's the end of the world, and Greece isn't going to work it out. We've got an economic, we've got negative economic news, and we're not really out of the recession. We're not really on a recovery. That stuff will drive you crazy, and you won't get where you want to go. And so two systematic ways would be, if I get out of the market, when do I get back in? At what point do I get back in? And you need to know that before you do any of those asset allocation adjustments. Um, if it's a valuation thing, then you need to set those rules before you're in an emotional state of trying to do that. Because what will happen is, in either case, you will simply default to whatever the the fear or the greed is that you're experiencing, that emotion at that time. And it's not a good way to manage money. Okay, so Simon, coming back around here um, on on this, the the question about uh, adjusting it. I want to... Share something about the way you should look at the time frame when you're investing. And I've been working on a retirement distribution program and writing a paper about this. Of what is a logical way to look at your investments and to organize those that matches the way that we think as humans. We have a very hard time, according to some of these behavioral finance and behavioral scientists out there, uh, we have a very hard time keeping looking at the big picture of things we like to separate and organize um, our investments into different buckets and those buckets match different goals and the way we come to to earn money um, if we win a lottery versus if we worked for it versus if we inherit it we put all those things into different buckets and the, the way we make economic decisions around those buckets of money differ so how do we use that bias? How do we use that psychological characteristic that we all have to our advantage? That's what, what prompted me to want to look at this and to research it and to, to write out a paper and create a program to, of how you look at this. Um, how can you use it to your advantage instead of letting it control you in a way where it doesn't always work to your benefit? And one of the ways is to not, not agree uh, or allow yourself to believe that you own, if you own stocks, that you own them for one day or for one year, or for five years, uh, or even ten, that the portion of your portfolio that is exposed to stocks um, should be ten years and hopefully significantly beyond that period of time. Uh, So if you took your portfolio, the concept that I was working on is in a retirement, if you had a 60-year-old person and they're getting ready to retire, and I know that's early. I'm just keeping the numbers round and even here. But if you did, and we said you, and we thought you were going to live to be a hundred, we've got four decades of time period that we could break this up to. It's not important how many periods you break it up to. So to keep it simple, I'm going to use four. 
10-year chunks. That 10-year bucket, if you had a, whether you had a $100,000 portfolio, $10,000 or $10 million portfolio, um, there's going to be an amount of income that we can, we can look at and generate based on what we expect fixed income returns to be, what we expect stock market returns to be, and what we, what, what we're going to do about inflation in your portfolio plan. There's going to be an amount of money that we're going to estimate that you can take out every year to live off of um, and supplement if you have a pension or Social Security. Um, but how much, right? How much money and how should I invest? And these are the big areas where people can make huge mistakes. Because if they're too aggressive and they put all their money in stocks and they take the money that they're going to need to spend next year and buy Facebook with it and Facebook doesn't turn out the way they thought, they're going to be changing their lifestyle in retirement when they have the least amount of flexibility and options about recovering from that than ever before in their life. Um, to me, that's not a prudent way of viewing things. And so the way I'm doing it, and I recommend you do it, is you say, hey, that first 10-year bucket, I don't even care if I need a higher rate of return from stocks. I'm not going to allow myself to view that that 10-year, I call it income tranche, um, just a, a bucket or a category. But that 10-year period, it's my advice to you that – you you do not own stocks in that in that ten year bucket of time that you own very conservative fixed income investments that will guarantee that you will you will you will not have a loss um, a significant loss in in the capital value of that ten year period. So when you're entering that ten year period of time, you shouldn't be running around worried about am I going to be able to to, to retire comfortably? Am I going to run out of money in this 10-year period as a result of the stock market? Maybe it's a result of other reasons that you have some sort of an emergency and you wind up uh, having unexpected monies. You get sued and lose a lawsuit or whatever. But it should not be. It should never be because of the stock market. So how much time do we have here? About a minute or so. Okay. So it shouldn't be about that. And so if you took a portfolio... And you said, oh, you know what? We're going to take a quick break. And uh, when I come back, I'll finish up on this idea. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. 
Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back. This is Ken Smith. Empirical Investing Radio. Again, if you want to give us uh, a call throughout the week, our number at the firm here is 1-800-923-4307, or you can email me directly if you have any questions, or again, I invite you to uh, take advantage. I'd be happy to take a look at what you're doing, and uh, no obligation to work with us as a client or any of that kind of stuff. We don't do it. We don't do it that way. Um, you can email me at ksmith at EmpiricalFS.com, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S, FrankSam.com. Going into the break, and I've, I've taken a long time to answer a single question, but I think it's such an important one that I really want to flog this horse, I guess you could say. I want to I make sure that, that I explore this fully because I think it's where people make a lot of mistakes. And again, my, my thinking about that is when the data that I have available on um, – the returns that investors are getting <clears throat> and my personal experience of watching investors make decisions this way and the results of those decisions in terms of their effect on the returns that they experience. And the question had to do with given the, the increasingly concerning news with uh, the political and economic situation in Europe and uh, U.S. budget deficits and, and debt issues, um, should we be changing our asset, our investment asset allocation Stocks to bonds. We'd be lowering our exposure to stock, and uh, I covered why I would. I don't believe that following those general headlines, in which the data everyone has, um, is really what's going to send the stock market spiraling. It's going to be something unexpected or that we don't know about yet. Otherwise, it would already have been priced in. The market would 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 have already would already have adjusted significantly to that. If it adjusts from here downward from here. Um, what you have to avoid is feeling regretful or feeling that you knew it was going to go down because you found some negative headlines or that the, the situation looked precarious. Um, our our common one of our common behavioral flaws is that we do that. 
but we immediately discount all the times we made predictions or had feelings and were wrong. So what emerges is the one time or the handful of times that we thought something was going to happen and then it happened. That overwhelms our mindset. Um, we don't say, well, yeah, I was right in this case, but I was wrong a hundred times. And if I would have followed my own intuition those other hundred times, I'd have no money in my account to, to have invested this time when I was right. Um, that is a very well-documented do- uh, behavioral characteristic that we have of um, deleting or deletion creatures and deleting those those predictions that didn't come true or that were inaccurate and moving to the forefront of our mind, those that we that do ultimately do. And I see it drive people crazy because they said, hey, I knew the market was going to go down. Well, what about the other 20 times you told us the market was going to go down and it actually went up afterwards? You know, you're... That's what I'm talking about. So I had described there are other ways. I would use a more systematic approach, whether it be rebalancing um, or adjusting my allocation as a result of uh, some valuation metric that, that we would use or or simply when the, uh, the movement of the market, I have an exit point, I have an entry point, and I will stick to that no matter what. I believe you will give up returns. I think the data and the research we looked at show that. But far less, you will give up far less returns than you will following an, an emotional and unsystematic or undisciplined um, approach to getting in and out, wandering in and out of the market, because you will likely you will likely make big mistakes. So, we don't make those kinds of. I, I don't recommend those kinds of adjustments. And what I was saying going in to the break class was I was at a point of talking about how do you view your investments? Well, one of the ways you address this issue of do I get in or out is you look at your investment for the right time period. And if I was a 50% stock and 50% bond investor, and the example I was using is a 60-year-old, um, let's use a million-dollar portfolio. I was 50% stocks, 50% bonds, and... Um, and I needed an income. And maybe out of that million-dollar portfolio, I wanted to take $30,000 a year out of the portfolio. And after that, I wanted to adjust it each year for some inflation rate. Let's say it's 3% a year. I've set up a model. Most advisors probably have some tool that they do this. But I can say, well, how should I view, how should I view my investments? Where does the 50% that's in stock belong how do I match that up to the appropriate time frames? And how do I match up my fixed income or bond portion? And how should I view how what occurs to my portfolio along the way? And my proposition is that the greatest probability of you staying disciplined and uh, keeping the, the right asset allocation all through your retirement, and I'm using 100 years here in our example, so a 40-year time horizon, is to say stocks go... In the longer-term bucket, my fixed income goes in the shorter-term bucket. And then I will adjust my stock exposure down as my time frame decreases. It's looking and understanding your market history of how stocks move and react and the fact that they can do wild things at different time periods, um, particularly very short time periods. Understanding that allows you to really put this into play. And I, I'm saying you take the first 10 years of your portfolio and you say, hey, I don't care what return I need. I'm not going to expose myself with that 10-year bucket uh, to, to to stock risk. So if you estimated on that million-dollar portfolio and you want 30000 bucks, 
day zero. Maybe you need to put three or four hundred thousand dollars into. Uh, I don't have the day right in front of me, but say it's four hundred, three or four hundred thousand dollars into uh, into that bucket, or two hundred and sixty thousand um, dollars. It's not going to be in stocks. So what what that enables you to do then is to say, well, if I was a 50-50 investor, I should have about $500,000 of, of equity, um, 500000 of fixed income. That fixed income for sure is going to take up, let's say it's the first 250000 is the first bucket for my first 10 years. Now I go to the next bucket, which is a 20-year term uh, time horizon. Well, as it goes down from 20 years to 10 years, at your, when I'm 10 years, uh, when I have, that becomes my income bucket. And I don't want to have any stocks in my income bucket. So how much stock would I want to put in my 20-year bucket? Well, maybe it's something like 20% uh, or 30% equity in that bucket. Um, very conservative, and it needs to slowly and gradually tear down if you were looking at it this way. So that 10 years from now, we're at age 60. Now I'm at age 70. I need to go to that bucket now to fund my income for the next 10 years. And... My idea is that you go to that bucket or that tranche and you say, okay, well, that one started at 20% stock. So even if we had a horrible decade in stocks, I mean the worst, which as far as I can find, um, is maybe a negative 4% return per year, um, at least on a globally diversified portfolio going back some time, it's uh, – it, it's so you price that in and you say well i got to be prepared for that worst case scenario when i fund this bucket and each year my exposure to the stocks get less and less lower and lower cuz my advisor or i'm adjusting that bucket down um so now you've got 20 years of retirement income that has has very very little exposure to the stock market risk uh if you thought that way if you could get yourself into that mindset and, and actually track it this way. I think a lot of the questions and worries about the day-to-day market noise um, and the tough times that we will inevitably go through, I truly believe we will see market declines every five to seven years. I, I, I'm going to expect to see something. Um, we can have some great years, and I think we'll see those again, but we're going to have to get used to this idea that just because in the past we've had some long stretches without a big market decline that were 10 or 15 or 20 years even, that's not how you should build your expectations. In my view, you should build them that you expect market declines every seven to ten years. And big ones, by the way. But if you looked at your approach that way, I think a lot of people would be less worried about the stock market and their ability to retire um, because they could go on a vacation for 20 years and have very little exposure to whatever happens in the stock market. Now, how is that different than what most people do? So so now, when you get to your 30-year bucket and your 40-year bucket, those are the buckets that become heavier uh, allocations to stock. When you add them all up, though, you're still 50-50 stocks to bonds. Now, what I've seen traditionally is you have an investor who's 50-50. Maybe they sit down with their advisor and they run a, a financial plan that has the statistical analysis that says, hey, this accounts for markets going up and down and all around. Um, and it gives us an 80 or 90% chance of success. It's all going to work out, you know, Mr. Jones. Trust me on this one. What happens in year one when the market goes down 30%? 
Well, Mr. Jones panics because he doesn't realize or isn't looking at it when it's all in one big bucket, right? He's going, wow, I just lost 25. If the market went down 30% and I had half of it in stocks, I just lost 15% of the value of my portfolio. That worries me. How am I, if that happens every single year, how am I going to retire and not run out of money? Um, it's very concerning, particularly when you feel that or you look at it and say, geez, I'm spending the money that just went down 30% or in, in the last market decline, 45% or more, 48% decline in the stock market. Now I've got to pull money out and spend it because that's how a lot of people feel about their portfolio, that they're actually pulling it out. Um, at that time, and then they, we have a tendency as investors to extrapolate those poor returns into the future. Geez, if we continue to lose money at this rate, I'm not going to have anything left in a few years to even take out. Um, it's a much different mindset. And what, so what happens when that, with that mindset? Well, what happens is even though the market volatility was in the plan, and even though it's ultimately the same investment strategy, um, as a whole, it's what I described when I'm breaking it out into individual decades and showing the investor, hey, we're, the first 20 years, first 10 years we have zero stock, or the first 20 we have very, very little stock market exposure here. It's the 30 and 40-year buckets, of which historically we've never had significant major return, uh, losses on a global basis uh, for, for 30 or 40 years. And we've had markets completely go out of existence, but if you look at hey, I'm owning all markets from all around the world the way we currently do and are capable of doing, it's very unlikely that that's going to be the issue. But if it is, it's it's when you're, when you're, uh, when you've are you made it to age 80 at that point. Um, you have some time to plan and adjust along the way. But that's not how most of us look at it. And the way we most of us look at it, um, left to our own devices, is, hey, i got to do something here. I can't stick with this plan because this plan isn't going to work. I'm going to run out of money. And so what happens is we want to start making adjustments to the portfolio. And uh, and we want to start pulling out or saying, hey, I need to get out of some of these stocks. you know. Um, and, and it causes us to react that way and to worry when we really shouldn't because there's a better way of looking at it. And that's that's what I'm recommending. We're out of time. I, I think we've got about a minute here. I was going to talk about the other items, but we'll get back to that next week. But I think this was a, a more important question, which is, what do I do now? Um, the world is looking scarier and scarier. And uh, again, my view would be, don't ever expose yourself to equities for short periods of time, because you may be right about the world getting scarier and scarier. I'm not saying you're wrong. I don't know enough to say that you're wrong and that the market won't go down. What I do know is I understand market history, and I understand how to take advantage of it um, by knowing it, what it can do, and knowing that over long periods of time, it can work to my benefit regardless of what happens tomorrow. So, the last few seconds here, again, I want to invite you, if you're, if any of this sounds interesting to you, or you have comments or thoughts, you know, shoot us an email, and or give us a call. You can call us here at the firm all week at 1-800-923-4307. And again, this is Ken Smith. You're listening to Empirical Investing Radio, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you.
We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.